Well, good. It's it's good to be with you all, if only in this uh, this uh, setting via video and internet. Uh, it's been a while since I've had uh, Sunday Mass uh, with you all. Uh, Father Johnson has been working hard as normal, been a been a monster and getting things done for uh, for us all and got leading our parish. Uh, but I, on the other hand, I've been getting rusty <laughs> without having these Sunday Masses. Uh, I've had a few daily Masses uh, over the last couple of weeks. And uh, at one point, someone said to me, Father, your Masses are really long. Why are you going so long? So I said, oh, sorry, sorry. And I adjusted. And then, then I had a few more. And someone said to me, why are you going so fast? You got to slow down. Oh, sorry, sorry. And then, and then I had a few other Masses. And I, I wore yesterday, for example, I it was St. Mark, and I wore the wrong color. I wore white. I was supposed to wear red for, for St. Mark the Martyr. And then we had a Light of Christ Mass, and I, we processed then started Mass. I reverence altar stood up and realized I didn't light the candles. And so it's been a struggle. I need to get back on the horse. Um, but uh, we have beautiful readings in the Easter season. They're one of my favorite set of readings. Easter season readings are beautiful. And uh, today we hear, for the most part, and we hear about it in the first reading, St. Peter preaching. And then also the second reading is the first letter of Peter to the churches. And so it's St. Peter talking to us today. And I just want to make three points about what he has to say. The first point, Peter says this, it was impossible for him to be held by death as he's describing Jesus and his resurrection. He says it was impossible for him to be held by death. For me, this is where the joy of Easter comes from. Why? Well, I have to go to sports analogies uh, to explain why, because that's what I do. Hey, St. Paul does the same thing. He goes through a sports analogy here and there in his writings, and so if he can, I figure I can too. But I think anyone who's been part of a sports rivalry knows that it's fun to beat your rival, and it's fun even to dominate them. You want to dominate from, from the first whistle to the last buzzer, um, and that's a fun thing. But even more fun, nothing is more fun then when you're down and when it feels like you're going to lose and you feel a bit of anguish of losing to your most hated rival and then you pull it out, you win, you beat your rival. I have lots of examples of this uh, in my mind of my own experience of sports and being a fan too, especially when the Steelers are losing the fourth quarter of the Ravens and they pull it out. Nothing's better, nothing's funner to be losing in an impossible situation and then you pull it out, you beat your rival. Jesus gave our most hated rival, death, the best chance he could. He put himself in the most vulnerable situation that he possibly could. He spotted death, a two touchdown lead with five minutes left in the fourth quarter. And yet, as St. Peter says, it was impossible that he could be held by death. And so he breaks out. What greater joy, what greater joy could there be than that victory over humanity's most hated rival, death? 
And physical death, yes. Physical death, yes, but not just physical death. More importantly, spiritual death, eternal death. That's the death that Jesus conquers. Jesus beat it, and it's impossible that he couldn't. Second, Peter has this to say to us. My brothers, one can confidently say to you about the patriarch David that he died and was buried and his tomb is in our midst to this day. In football circles, I don't know if anyone's heard this said before. I, we used to say it in high school and college a little bit. But in football uh, circles, sometimes there's a guy in the team that's described or talked about as he's a first-off-the-bus guy. He's a first-off-the-bus guy. That guy is the most intimidating guy in your team. That's the guy with the huge arms and shoulders, the guy with the don't mess with me look on his face. The guy that when the other players see him and he's the first guy off the bus, they think, I'm glad I'm riding the bus today, <laughs> riding the bench today. They think, I just hope I don't get hurt. They think, I hope the rest of the guys don't look like that guy. That's the first off the bus guy. You want him off the bus first, to gain the psychological edge a bit. And that's the guy and what he projects, that's what you want your team to rally around. And so he's the first off the bus. That's how I think of St. Peter asking his audience today to think about the heroes of his audience. He asked them to think about the heroes of his audience. Hey, guys that are speaking, listen to me. Think of the patriarchs that have gone before, the heroes of the history of Israel. Think about the, the heroes uh, even amongst us now. Got it? You're thinking of them. The people you look, look up to and remember and tell stories about, got it? Okay. Now I want you to look at their tombs. Why? Because their tombs are right here amongst us and their bones are in them. Isn't that jarring? St. Peter, specifically, even points to the great hero of Israel's history, David. David wasn't even just a past hero. He was an important part of the prophecy and the promise and the future of Israel as well. And Peter points that out too. And without denying the importance of David, to the contrary, pointing to the fact that David points to Jesus himself, without denying that importance, Peter after asking his audience to look at David's tomb, he's basically saying to them, this is our first guy off the bus. This Jesus Christ. This is who God planned for all the time. This is who God meant for us to rally around. He's the guy we rally around. He's the guy David himself points to as the first guy off the bus. And the reason is this. His tomb is not here. His tomb is not here. Last, third point to help us maybe live this reality a little bit. I think in Lent and in Easter, we Catholics especially have a strong sense for the consequences of Jesus and his mysteries for the way that we're supposed to live. We have a strong sense for the duty of conversion 
we might have a sense for the things that we need to change in our lives or the things we'd like to change in our moral living or with our prayer. But perhaps, but perhaps when we confront the reality of conversion and change, we often miss that first step. If we are to embark on a path of conversion and change because of the realities that we celebrate and believe in, the first step, paradoxically, but the first step to living conversion and change is to find something that does not change. The first step is to find something that does not change. For a life of conversion and change, we actually need to start with something stable, something firm, something unyielding, something solid. And it's worth noting that the world can't provide that. The world by its very nature is changing all the time. It's fickle and its teachings are deceptive. And I should point out, it's not even really the world's fault. It's not even the world's fault. It just is. It can't provide what we need as human beings first, and then even especially as Christians and Catholics. The world can't provide what we need. It cannot be a stable place for the moral conversion that we want. And it can't provide that whether the world wanted to or not. So what can that be? St. Peter points to that unchanging reality for us. He says, you were ransomed, in the second reading he says, you were ransomed from your feudal conduct handed on by your ancestors, not with perishable things like silver and gold, not the world, not by what the world has to offer, silver and gold, success, the, the latest the latest wisdom and self-help and the latest whatever. Not that those things are bad, but that's not what delivered you, St. Peter says. That's not what delivered you, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a spotless, unblemished lamb. You have been ransomed. The precious blood of Christ, the spotless and unblemished lamb. The mystery of redemption and salvation in the deeds of Jesus Christ does not change. It's everlasting. It is true. For me and for you, it is true in every circumstance. It's a mystery that can never cease to be relevant no matter what circumstance there is, the mystery of Jesus rising from the dead and cleansing us with his own blood, that mystery is relevant for every circumstance that I'm in. It always matters. And it's a mystery from which there can always be more meaning drawn. More meaning can always be taken from the mystery of Christ's life and his redemption and his blood it can always be drawn for our lives. This mystery of Jesus, that is something that never changes. That is something that can provide stability in an unreliable world. And that is the only basis that fixed, unchanging, stable,
relevant for every circumstance, true in every circumstance. That is the only basis, the only unchanging foundation that can fuel a lifelong conversion. And so we have to start there.